0: Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky.
1: I'm Steven Zuber, and I'm excited to welcome back our guest, David Youssef.
2: Howdy, howdy, everyone.
0: Hello, David. I think our listeners may remember you from the episode where uh, it was just you and Steven, and I finally have the pleasure of getting to talk to you, too.
2: I'm excited to speak with you as well.
0: Huzzah. We have you on here because you want to talk to us about being intentionally crazy. Yes.
2: (laughs) In a safe way.
0: Yes, that's the important part.
2: So my thesis goes along the lines of this. The universe is always going to be stranger than we imagine. And making new discoveries and updating our maps in really significant ways often is a combination of a lot of really wrong, incorrect ideas and one very correct one and a moment of epiphany. And I think that if you look at history, a lot of the people who've made the biggest pushes in the way we think forward have had a little bit of a crazy streak in them.
0: (laughs) I think a little bit is is an understatement based on what I've read about basically everyone.
2: Uh, Well, one of the things I like to bring up is Sir Isaac Newton was really into magic, and that was actually instrumental in him coming up with the theory of gravity, because in magic, you have ideas like voodoo dolls. You can affect something at a distance, right? Mm, Until then, as, as far as physics was concerned, there was no such thing as a force that acted without direct contact. It was by using the idea of acting at a distance and then combining that with the hard math that he knew that he was able to come up with theories like gravity.
1: Can I get a couple quick questions? Absolutely. So on one, um, was was Newton interested in magic in the sense that he was interested in... Uh, so there, there's a few senses of magic, right? There's stage magic, like Penn and Teller. There's uh stuff we don't understand the unknown and then there's like legit magic if i wave my wand and say abracadabra you get shot by green light and die um which kind of magic was newton interested in
2: so the first type the stage magic or trickery um that kind of that's closer to barding historically like it was an entertainer thing and everyone has always known that the idea of abracadabra wand-waving magic is less than a 100 years old. It is extremely modern. If you want to go into a little bit of esoteric stuff, he was like really big into alchemy. Do you ever wonder why the rainbow has seven colors, indigo and violet, when really it kind of looks like there's six?
0: Oh, yes. I just learned this a few weeks ago. This is amazing.
2: Yeah, so it's because there are seven. There were seven planets at the time, and he thought every color corresponded to a planet, like magically horoscope
1: kind of alignment. Seven. Seven was a popular number back in the day.
2: Yeah, it had a lot of significance.
1: Well, so I guess yeah, that opens up the other kind of magic. I mean, so like there's also the kind of magic that the Salem witches were accused of conducting, right? Where you're doing seances or casting spells that didn't involve wand waving and light but were you know involved like you said voodoo dolls or that sort of thing so was he i guess what i'm asking was he into like the bullshit hocus pocus magic of however you want to define it or was he into um like i don't think alchemy falls under that category alchemy is like the worship of the unknown or maybe just bad science i guess i'm curious was he a full-on occultist or was he oh yeah uh, a confused occultist
2: by every he was a legit occultist by every measure that I'm aware of. Oh, that's awesome.
0: And Galileo, one of the main reasons that they, you know, <laughs> that that the uh, church would crack down on G- Galileo as much as they did wasn't just because of his heli- heliocentrism. Although, I mean, that had something to do with it too, but because he was a heretic. He would, you know, um, believed in these sort of occult uh, things as well.
2: And if we want to use a more recent example. Jack Parsons' anniversary of his death day just passed. And Jack Parsons was one of the first rocket scientists to help start NASA and a huge researcher into, like, chemical rocket fuels. And that dude hung out with Aleister Crowley and a pre-Scientology L. Ron Hubbard, which is about as crazy into the esoterica as a person can go, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And there was there was a lot of... God, now that I think about it, the, the old um, hermetic traditions had a lot of geometry and chemistry and a bunch of other things mixed in with them as well. You know, they weren't they weren't just like trying to summon up the spirits of your ancestors. They were like trying to do it with these weird kind of pre-scientific wrappings around everything. They
2: were trying to approach a lot of different problems. Um Okay, so I'm going to give you guys first a disclaimer. So in preparing for this, I've been rereading a lot of my old grimoires, including one of the most powerful grimoires I have, Rationality from AI to Zombies. I consider nice. it a grimoire.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, and I sh- there's a part at the end where Yudkowski's talking about like levels and strength as a rationalist. If I'm a white belt rationalist, I'm below white belt magician. So please, anything I say, people in the actual occult community, though I can't imagine there's a large listener base for them here, but uh, they're probably going to be very upset because I'm going to butcher a lot of this.
1: So when you say magician here, you mean, did you listen to the episode where where Vivian and uh, Cannonball Jenkins and Yash and I talked about ritual and stuff?
2: Yes. And in fact I do have an answer for you guys, a good definition of ritual. That differentiates it from habit.
1: But just really quick, uh, so that's um, you're talking uh, magicianry in the same sense that Vivian's talking witchcraft, right? Yes. Um, in the sense that it's not what really anybody means by witchcraft except people who use that term. Um when I I think magician, I think James Randi.
2: Well, I'm gonna give you the exact four things that magic historically and the kind of magic I think about says it can do and then I'm going to give you the rationalist explanation where it's all in my head and then I'll give you the completely insane theoretical explanation
1: I'm stoked sorry to keep interrupting
2: (laughs) (laughs) so I study and have been pulled into chaos magic which has an illustrious tradition going back to the 1970s, when <laughs> a, uh, two mathematicians and some artists like, started looking at all of the ancient occult traditions and realized there were only a few things that all of them said. All magic systems say they can, one, summoning and communing with the others, question mark, Two is they they all say they have a way of predicting the future. Third, they say that there's a way of getting information that you shouldn't be able to get, like astral projecting, right? And the fourth would be probability manipulation.
0: Pro- Wait, what is probability manipulation?
1: Is that funneling the future light cone into a more desirable outcome? <laughs> uh, essentially, yeah. Like... The way I think
2: about these is I think that 95% of this stuff is probably in my head, or 99%. Can
1: I I jump in there really quick? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I don't want to drop. It sounds like you're on a flow.
0: Uh I'm still not sure what probability manipulation means. That That
1: is practical
2: enchantment. Like The way a wizard thinks about doing a spell is we don't know what causes it. But for some reason, when you concentrate real hard, and then you allow your focus to dissipate into your subconscious, you can. that's what casting a spell is. It's building up a lot of energy, mental or emotional or physical, and then releasing it with an idea attached to it into the void, essentially. And you, the goal wait, is wait, to what? manipulate the odds in your favor. You can't make impossible things happen with magic, but the closest thing I could have is, did you read Unsong? Yeah. Placebomancy.
0: Oh, okay, nice.
2: <laughs> Placebomancy is actually the best description I've ever read of what people in the Chaos Magic community actually are trying to do with sigils. They can't, they don't, I've never heard of any magical tradition that actually says you can turn into a wolf or a cat. There's a few that say you can project into them but most of them say that they can give you a little bit of extra luck in battle or maybe push it so that rain cloud that might have avoided your village goes over it instead
0: right things that are completely not provable
2: right that is one of the big issues with it um, but I do think that one of the values of practical enchantment especially if you want to be an effective wizard, is you have to be really good at project management because one of the things that I was introduced to as an idea is if I do a spell to try to win the lottery, right, maybe I've changed the odds from 1 in 300 million to 1 in 11 million. And I'm a great <laughs> wizard if I somehow manage to do that. But
1: you know what? I'm still probably going to lose. And how could you possibly know if you succeeded? Yeah. No, no, I'm serious. So, how, how could you know if your if your spell sigil your has succeeded? Well, yeah. if it went if it went from one in three hundred million to one in eleven million, you would have no way of knowing. You still lose a losing ticket. Yeah. Like any losing ticket, isn't any closer to winning than another losing ticket.
2: I agree. So, you like here's an example of one I did recently. Less, I told you this like a week ago, which is kind of why I'm here. Um, about a week ago, I did a bunch of sigils, which is a way of essentially turning a spell or a wish into an image and then you know like i draw it out i do a little bit of concentration and a little ritual at my altar and i put it in my little place and one of them was financial opportunities will fall towards me and like luck will help me even when i don't deserve it i think i put that in specifically Less than 12 hours later, I got a phone call from a phone number in Maryland, and I answered, and it was a person going, hey, I saw you a year and a half ago in an open house, and I found your card today, and me and my husband are looking to buy a house, and I'm a realtor. So I was like, I'd be happy to help you, and it turns out they might end up being like legitimately more than half the money I make this year.
0: But wouldn't that require your magic to literally travel back in time to affect them having picked up your card a year and a half ago?
2: <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, Retro I'm causality. Saying, like, time is I, very weird.
0: I I had a a lot of really great experiences that have um I mean, in large part their luck, like the the way I got Burning Man tickets, I don't remember if I said this before or not, was just someone who listened to uh, the Methods of Rationality podcast was coming through town, said, you want to meet? I said, sure. And, you know, it was a whole confluence of coincidence and things just happening to work out, but if as long as you keep doing things and putting yourself out there, every now and then you'll get hits. And, like, I was extremely lucky, and I cast no sigils at all. So, I...
2: And Like I said, it, that last one is both The hardest to believe and in one way, the easiest to test. And this is something I sincerely believe, whether it's working by tricking my perception or changing something in the universe. There's never been a time I've done sigils and they haven't worked, which is weird to say, because like each time I've done it, it's been in a semi tongue in cheek manner. But like you don't actually have to believe it at all.
0: No, I mean, I think it's great if people do things that make them feel better about their lives and more in control or whatever. But I think there's a definite danger of wasting time and effort on things that literally don't do anything when one could be doing things that actually help. It's it's the whole thoughts and prayers thing. You know, please stop That's, sending us thoughts and prayers and send us some fair. actual aid.
2: That is absolutely fair. And. That's one of the – when we were starting this conversation about, like, safe forms of crazy, right? Like, for me, the expenditure of energy and time in this is about a total of one hour per week.
0: Okay. And, yeah, I I waste more than an hour a week just trying to get motivated and, you know, do good things, too. So if that helps you get motivated, that is probably a a definite time savings overall.
2: Yeah. And so – Part of the reason I have started doing magic is I said I think 95% of it is in my head. But there's 5% just weirdness that I really do think pushes the edges of credibility. Like, here's my question, Enias Let's say on a lark, I convinced you to make one sigil a week for six months. And let's say three out of four weeks, some like, it happened. And it happened in a way that was not just kind of what you envision but above and beyond that isn't enough evidence to prove it scientifically but it would definitely make you feel weird wouldn't it
0: no because i know the the psychology behind it it's it's the it's the same I, reason i i i just i don't do these sorts of things and i feel silly doing them because i realize that if i am making things that are wishes that are plausible and i'm working towards them and the world and now that i have these sigils drawn i am primed to look for hits i would expect most of them to for me to count it as a hit And be like oh okay so i didn't get that date with the hot chick that i saw the other night but i met this other person and got their number and oh my god that totally counts even though you know like i'm out there putting myself out trying to get people's
1: numbers
2: what if Okay, so an example similar to that is I did, a, I had a crush. One of my first, like, I think intentional magic things was I had a crush in high school on a girl named Lauren. And I tried for weeks and failed utterly. And then a week later, I was asked out by a girl at another school who I randomly saw named Lauren. I got the Lauren, just not the one I was hoping for. And to be fair, I literally could not have met her or predicted it at all. Like I was a very introverted person or I was never introverted, but I was not very emotionally communicative in high school.
1: I guess I want, I want to take this a step back. Um, so the four principles of magic that you talked about, what were they again?
2: Uh, summoning slash communicating with the others. Uh, Future prediction and then astral projection.
1: There were four, weren't there? There was something. The fourth about
2: one it. is probability manipulation.
1: Okay, so um, talking with others.
0: Uh, actually, can I interrupt you for just a second, Stephen? Yeah, go nuts. Okay, well, I was just going to say that I don't think it would be a productive use of our or our audience's time to actually go into the magic stuff because uh those of us who are if they're interested
2: we can put some links at the bottom but i agree it's not like i don't think i'm gonna convince or no one wants a lesson in it
0: right exactly there's plenty of skeptics podcasts out there that have covered this for hundreds of hours there's plenty of believers podcasts out there that uh, people can go into so i'm more interested in would be like how is Incorporating this uh, controlled craziness into one's life beneficial, even if one doesn't actually believe in supernatural stuff.
1: That's fair. I was just going to say that I think I could do all of those four things without leaving my bedroom if I had my phone with me. <laughs> yes. So, like, nice. I mean, so, no, I mean, just like, I think so that means just, you're just a very good as, wizard, <laughs> or it means that my cell phone is very magical, right? Yeah. Like, so I think being. Like things that are that loosely described, it sounds almost, dare I say, Jordan Peterson-ish, to oh. disingenuously be like, "Oh yeah, no, though, no, that's what I mean by magic, not what everybody else means, not what you think I mean, not what you, not not what you know the the popular use is." But yeah, your cell phone's literally magic, just like uh, religions are literally true. Um, so. so, is that is that the sense? I'm feeling the same sort of. No, like, so it's, it's the, like when I said the leak. others.
2: Okay. When I said the others, that was my generic term because I didn't want to say things like fairies or angels or
1: demons or spirits or ghosts. Okay, so is, is something I could do without leaving my room if I had my cell phone and some DMT?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. I think that there's a
2: lot to be said about taking your time and not going far but that's something else um yeah i got so you. i want to bring up the little passage that i sent to steven that made him interested enough to at least consider this
1: excellent i might have forgotten to share that so that's please fine. go over it in detail
2: So, the person who got me started in this was a writer named Gordon White. He has a blog called Rune Soup, which I highly recommend. Even if you ignore all the magic stuff, he worked in international finance and branding for many years. And his takes on geopolitics are surprisingly good. Weirdly enough. But uh, he has a series on magic. And here's what he wrote. Debt is magic it is a literal pact with the future little wonder that emerges from the gloom of prehistory into the minuscule light of recorded history more or less fully formed we got it from something sitting at the campfire's edge when a babylonian farmer summoned debt he would bring forward from the future his own wheat harvest to pay for the equipment or land he actually needed to materialize said wheat harvest in the first place This feat of imaginal time travel, and when it works, it is once again literally a successful act of actual magic. It is a manifestation of something from nothing. But time travel always has a cost, and of course on the other side of the trade are the gods, represented by the intervening years that could bring drought or locusts or war or the death of your sons. So the farmer pays for his equipment with money from another dimension, unbound by time, but then binds both himself and that money to time. Debt is hugely powerful, albeit dangerous system of actual magic, freed of any morality about its use. It is the devil's money.
0: Okay, see, for the most part, I really like that, because it is a wonderful new way to think about a financial instrument, which really puts into it gives like gives gives you an emotional feel for what it is and the powerful things you can do with it. So yeah, that was that was awesome.
1: Yeah, I love that. I remember it now. It was fantastic.
2: That is why I explore esoterica because some of the most beautiful and important ideas and new ways of framing it are out in the me- out in the chaos and the mess that stands at the edges of the crazy And I think it's good for humans to do that, too, because I personally think that everyone has a certain amount of, like, irrationality as a pressure inside of them. And if you don't let it out in controlled bursts, either by going to parties and getting drunk and letting it out there or in play in some form, it will bubble up in the rest of your life. So instead of... Maybe being crazy for some other reason, I get to be crazy at my little altar at home in a very controlled <laughs> setting. <laughs> and I get to read nice. awesome things like this and think about problems in new ways. Another benefit is uh, in one of the magic podcasts I was listening to, I was introduced to a word in the language from New Zealand. I can't remember it now. But can just call native- it Kiwi. Yeah, in the native Kiwi, there is a word that it means all of the things as your forebearers that end up making you who you are. And that word can obviously mean your parents. But if your family has been drinking from the same river for 30 years and all your atoms change every seven years, then legally that river is a forebearer to you. And in their law, it specifically says that the natives there can treat landmarks as, like, literally, like, family members. And when you view it in that light, you're like, I like, I am much more closely related to the farms I get my food from than my great aunt.
0: I'm processing that? I'm not <laughs> sure how to... I, I, I don't it, know if that's actually the case, because unless there's something really, you know... Unusual in a a particular farm, and you get all your food from it. You'd still, uh, I guess, the concept of genetically related. Does it matter?
2: (laughs) Yeah, like it's it's. I'm not saying this as like an objective truth, but it's a really weird recontextualization of like place versus person. And this is one of those things that it honestly was one of the ideas that has led me to focus a lot of my time into like ecological real estate and like how you can make land healthy. Because if you grow your food in your backyard and you eat it and you live at a place for seven years, then in a very real way, you and your house are like family. And like, it's a silly idea, but I think people feel those kind of things more deeply, even if they are not necessarily rational. And hey, if I can get more people planting trees and eating healthy in the process, that seems pretty good.
0: Yeah. So how do you how would you incorporate these sort of of things into your, I don't know, thinking into your life to uh, to be more, I don't know, creative or scientific or whatever? How does this help us discover the next gravity?
2: I think of it like exercise. It's mental, we literally say about people who hold these beliefs in seriousness as doing mental gymnastics, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a very accurate term, and that's what it is. It's keeping your mind limber and willing to entertain ridiculous ideas and really think them through and then dismiss them. Like, if they're really not worth it, it's fine. But take them at their ridiculous assumptions and play them out in your head first, and then... When you do have the opportunity to hit an idea like gravity, you won't just dismiss it because how can forces act on each other at a distance? You'll really think it through.
0: You know, I recently read uh, a—I think it was a really brief post on Less Wrong um, about a very similar concept, fake frameworks, where they, the the author mentioned that basically all of our models are imperfect, and there is there is a danger in thinking that our models are too perfect. And if we can every now and then entertain an idea and say to ourselves, I know this is not really how the world works, but for the purposes of argument or whatever, I'm going to assume that, you know, there's only two types of people in the world, X and Y. And uh, you can make some useful predictions with that while at the same time realizing that it is a fake framework and it should not bind your thinking very strongly. And so uh, this seems almost... Similar like that, being having the mental agility to consider things without taking them completely seriously and binding yourself to them.
2: Yeah. And I think it would be very easy to become lazy about a habit of doing this. So adding the magical like ritualistic component is a way of forcing me to do it on a regular basis so I don't let it slide, like a workout routine. Plus, it's a really useful psychological tool. Like, a lot of the best interpretation of demons summoning I've ever heard is, there's a great quote from Frank Herbert, uh, the psychologist, the priest, and the shaman all have the same job, which is to heal people's souls. And I think that's kind of correct in the sense that if you had bipolar disorder or schizophrenia in a in an ancient village, right? That's a real liability. That's a real risk. But you also might be really nice the rest of the time, or a female in a tribe where there's not a lot of females, or maybe you're really big and strong and you only go crazy in your (laughs) bloodlust. Like, there's a Uh whole bunch of scenarios where giving up on you as a person is not the best thing for the tribe, but they need to deal with this issue. And yeah, so, especially
0: since manpower was so limited back then. You yeah. needed everyone if, if you could.
2: So you go to the shaman and he's like, hmm, huh, let me think. And he gives you some mushrooms and he tells you like your anger is a demon. And it's not a bad one, but we've got to bind it. So you're like losing it, and you see the demon that is your anger. Maybe you get a tattoo and you bind it. You now control it. And next time you start to get angry. The shaman just has to say, Hey, your demon's getting in, like, your demon is rising, and then you're not the one socially responsible. But you also have a trigger that allows you to notice it as well. So, in a way, like, humans are way better at dealing with other humans than we are with dealing with the abstractions about ourselves by turning your mental processes into an other. And then making a deal with it, or dea- or dealing with it in some way. I think that's how a lot of psychotherapy was done for most of human history.
0: I remember hearing about uh, when people used to come back from war. They and obviously not in all uh, Christian societies, but in some they had a tradition of the people who came back even if they were you know fighting in a holy war that that was bidden to them by god and you know the king ordered it and they acted honorably they still had a period of penance to do because they were just involved in a large scale violent affair and it was during this time period that they slowly reintegrated into normal daily life and society again and I almost think that it would be good for us to have some sort of similar ritual nowadays because now people just, like, come home from war and, like, hey, you're back. Start being you again. And they're, you know, it's You've just gone through one of the most deal.
2: traumatic events a human can go through. I hope you're ready to go to McDonald's on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, seriously. There should be a period of, like, penance and asking for forgiveness or doing what one needs to do to show that – you know, I am leaving behind the place of war and coming back to the place of civilization.
2: And think about how much that would probably alleviate survivor's guilt. Like I bet Mm -hmm. you, that's probably one of the other functions. So uh, that's actually something that brings us back to Jordan Peterson. I can do this. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, specifically, this is something that Peterson talks about badly. Like I have some criticisms of the way Peterson communicates, Um, But Nassim Taleb really does it better, which is to say that our ancestors were very smart, the ones who survived, because things were tougher (laughs) and they had a lot more free time to be bored and to think. (laughs) So So, uh, when you see a lot of the weird social institutions and practices that we don't make sense from our perspective now – It's not that they were crazy. I would say 95% of the time they were doing what I would call ecological rationality. They were doing something that made sense in the time because it had a good purpose. And maybe that the context has changed and they haven't changed the ritual yet. And that does deserve criticism. But try not to throw out the baby with the bathwater.
0: So how do we do this without going crazy and, you know, Buying into the belief that, I don't know, God hates fags or whatever it is nowadays that that is the crazy talk, you know, that I can heal someone's wounds by touching them.
2: I mean, one of my first things when I got into all of this stuff is I refused to believe anything that told me to disbelieve science. Like I was allowed to add on top of it, but I wasn't allowed to contradict anything that was there. And I think that should still be fundamental to anyone's way of looking at the world if your way of looking at the world says oh yeah i can just disregard the rules of biology and entropy then probably not correct
1: i i have another concern i guess regarding the pseudoscientific interpretation of this because like the what you mentioned earlier on about probabilistically you know influencing the future um that reminds me of that it was a terrible book um Rhonda burns wrote the secret in like the oh, mid-2000s yeah. and that if you're lucky enough to not know what that is the no it was, i uh, do
2: and i wish i didn't and i hope your audience doesn't
0: <laughs> i think everyone knows what the secret is
1: yeah well it was uh it was widely touted by oprah it was a big deal they made some stupid movie about it um the idea is that if you Basically, if you believe in what you want hard enough, if you visualize it, sometimes to the extent of making a vision board or a sigil, um, then you could make it happen. And conversely, when bad things happen to you, that's because you didn't want them not to happen enough. Um, Or like it was your fears overtaking you. Uh,
2: You guys guys know that feeling you get when you read a pop science article that talks about biases and you're just like, oh, wow, this is... Dumbed down to the point where it's no longer valuable, it might actually be confusing people and giving them the wrong view.
1: I can one up that my company made it mandatory for every developer to watch this stupid one hour course on machine learning machine learning and AI. Because it's like, hey, these are these big buzzwords going around. How has machine learning and AI influenced this? And it was very clearly written by somebody who uh, well if they if it was written by somebody who knew anything about any of this, it was not uh, it was re- it was edited far too much. So it was just this bullshit list of buzzwords. So it might be like that, but yeah, that is um,
2: that's how wizards and people in the community feel when they read the secret. <laughs> that is the closest way I can describe it. Like, even if you were the most powerful wizard, believing that they were correct, like you don't control every moment of everything in your life. And mostly I hate the woman who wrote the secret because do you guys remember that giant tsunami that hit India? Yeah. Yeah. They asked her about it and she's like, well, I guess they were putting out tsunami waves. And anyone who says that can go fuck themselves. Like, I have no pity for such a human and I am really, really upset by it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, it also has the, the terrible fallback of blaming people for things that happen to them. You know, like if somebody's raped, well, they must have not not wanted it enough to make it not happen.
2: Yeah, um, like victim blaming yeah, it's, it's is a fairly never disgusting worldview. Like you can push things a little bit at best. Like, if anything, I think that the actual people I've communicated with in that community are really humble about the things they believe they can do. Which is good. Like even if they can't do any of the things, it's best that they believe in small things than that they can fly or something.
1: <laughs> so as, as long if, as oh, go sorry, on. go ahead.
0: No, oh, I, I was just gonna make fun of something on my shelf, but I, we can do that some other time.
1: <laughs> um, I was gonna just say real quick. so david, if if you're um, if you're if your incantation to make this this windfall of money come through,. Um, it's if, in if, and the and the resulting phone call you got if that deal fell through would that be evidence against the effect efficacy of your wizardry or would it yeah. just mean that you didn't believe hard enough
2: no it would it would really mean that like I was doing something wrong
1: well would it mean that your spell was wrong or that the, that the enterprise is mistaken
2: I would have to do experiments and try to figure that out
1: <laughs> <laughs> like if you start experimenting would... and get something that you can that you can show us uh, I'm really curious but i am I'm not I'm need to put on it too bad and so, like, no, I guess no honestly, the, the, idea, biggest,
2: the biggest magical scientific undertaking I'm doing, that's a weird sentence to say, um, uh-huh. is I've been doing a 22 card tarot read for myself once a week for like six months. I'm going to keep doing it for a few years and I'm going to do a statistical analysis and see if there's anything compared to major life events of mine. And if there's no That's pattern awesome. there, that I'll just, dis- like, you know, it'll be a fun little silly project. Well, you should, you should
1: publish the results in either case.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy the tarot because uh, Vivian, you know, the one we had on our Ritual podcast, she reads tarot sometimes professionally. And the thing about it is she's she's also an uh, author, science fiction fantasy author, right? And when you see her lay down the tarot, you realize, oh my God, what she's doing is creating a story on the fly from... You know, this random list of prompts, the deck that's given to her. And it's awesome because she is, she's such a good storyteller that when she reads someone's tarot, she always puts together something really interesting. And since humans don't have really that much variety in their lives, like everyone is struggling to, to make money and to find someone they love and to be accepted by their peers. And everyone has these fears and insecurities. And so like you always play to a few key themes and you change the details based on what the cards are uh, drawn, and it just works beautifully. It is amazing. She can read tarot with cards against humanity cards. That's She's impressive. done it before. Yeah, and it worked, and I was like, This is fucking fantastic. Okay, and I, I, I need to obviously believe... <laughs>
2: visit and see that because that's something that I've never even heard of. That's incredible.
0: Oh, dude, it was the best. She did it to me, and at one point, I just, like, got up and walked away. I was like, fuck you and your stupid cards doing everything about my life perfectly. But I don't I don't in any way, shape, or form believe in any sort of supernatural stuff. I was just like, this is some incredible storytelling, and I wish you were making more money for this, because, damn, that's some, some highly good skill.
2: I think about it like this. So you guys know that if you get your brain bisected and the two halves are not in communication – that you can essentially communicate with the, both of them separately, right?
0: Yes. right. It's so, both fascinating and terrifying because then you're like, what the fuck? There's two personalities living in my body and I don't feel it. And oh my God.
1: Yes, the, the real kicker there is that there's probably two in there right now. You just can't hear them both.
2: Well, well but, that's, why the closest... that's why you do tarot. That's why you do tarot. Because <laughs> nice. think about it like this. The part of your brain that is older in my opinion and the part that jordan peterson talks about a lot is the subconscious symbolic part and it operates in story tropes and images that's how it communicates and that's why if you read the right passage in the right book at the right time in your life it'll just like hit you like a ton of bricks and you're not even sure why because it's communicating something that this part of you is trying to tell you, but it doesn't use language. So it's really hard for you to get it. The tarot is an easy way for you, for that part of your brain to communicate to you by doing exactly that. You giving it like essentially 72 like tropes each card represents a trope or an idea and then you just put them in order and then that part of your brain gets to imprint the story it wants to tell you using those as like its pieces
0: but so how do we going uh really quickly to the book that i have on the shelf i feel there's always this danger because i have this book on my shelf because it was just so beautiful i found it in a thrift store and um it's it it starts it's called busting loose from the money game and it's supposed to be one of those financial independence books right okay and it starts out talking about how uh money isn't like it it doesn't have a a about the illusion of money right it says the human game is a game created and played entirely in the consciousness which is true right like the economy is humans working together and consensually agreeing that this money has value because we will accept it as a as a as a payment and it it goes from there after a while it gets to start saying things that are more controversial such as numbers were created specifically to give you an experience of limitation and that's their real purpose which first of all yeah i don't (laughs) think that's actually the purpose of numbers
2: as far as i know numbers were invented in ancient mesopotamia to keep track of debt So they do have like track of things. Yeah,
0: to keep track of money and value of like sheep and shit. (laughs) Oh, but it gets better. It gets to the point where they start using some of their own terminology for these things. Like they refer to the field as I guess some sort of analog for markets or whatever and it gets to the point where it says the illusion of money comes from a pattern in the field and you have the power to create any pattern apply power to any pattern and pop any pattern into your hologram which is how you view the world appearing to be real can you have anything you want absolutely you can <laughs> have anything you want <laughs> the only limits are your uh, your own experience and and what you see in your hologram and i'm like you, you literally just went to craziness and it's I believe that is that is always one of the problems and why people have you know such problems with these sorts of things is is the worry that the, they're gonna get starting to talk like crazy people and believing crazy things
2: and that's a very reasonable thing to be worried about. I really wish I had a better answer, but mine like the way I deal with it is I simply have people who are touchstones who don't who have their own crazy things they believe that i keep them in check in and they help me keep myself in check when i start to go too deep down the rabbit hole and worrying about the martian wars yeah by the way that's a great conspiracy theory i don't actually have i've never seen a good rebuttal of it either which is why i like it so much
0: i've never even heard of this martian wars thing
2: oh my god So the basis of it is that there is an isotope, xenon-115, I'm going to double check what it is, but there is an isotope of a noble gas that only appears during nuclear fission reactions, like it's a byproduct, it doesn't happen in nature any other place, and the entire atmosphere of Mars is coated in it. Almost like a bomb the size of the Empire State Building went off and literally eradicated everything that was on that planet in a giant nuclear holocaust. And huh. like it's a very strange one. and I like the I think their chemistry is real. Like I believe that chemical is in there. And I just don't think NASA has a good answer or doesn't know yet why that happened. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a perfectly good natural explanation, but it's a fun conspiracy theory. You've got to admit. Yeah. I, I really wish I had a better answer for you, Inyash. It, the only one I can ha- say is make sure you have friends who are both willing to entertain your craziness and who have their different craziness so that they won't let you go too far. I, oh,
0: I see. I have to have friends now.
2: Okay, so yeah, that is a burden I'm going to place on the listener. (laughs) The only Ah. real thing I'll say is uh, I sent you guys three links. The Slate Star Codex one is probably the one that's closest to how I feel a lot of magic on a metaphysical level works. Did you guys read that?
0: That was the... I know I have because I've read every Slate Star Codex post, but Uh, which one was it?
2: eternal love said the
1: cactus person oh okay yeah see like, he went and talk to the others like i said dmt
2: yeah <laughs> like yeah the newest brand of chaos magic is being described as space shamanism and says that like okay here's one of those weird things that you learn and i don't have a good answer to it which is ayahuasca invented in the Amazon is a mixture of DMT plant and then an MAOI inhibitor and they grow in different parts of the jungle and you have to cook the two of them in a pretty complex way in order to nullify everything except for the two chemicals you want and when they asked the Amazonians like how did you figure out this very complex and extremely like rare like there's 26,000 plants in the Amazon How did they know to mix these two? And one of them is like a root of a plant. And their answer was, the plants told us.
0: Well, I mean, that's because they don't know. It was someone deep in their history that did it.
2: It, I would really be curious to see the combinatorics odds on that. Because it seems way outside the bounds of someone who isn't aware of how to do it ahead of time.
1: Well, like we talked about, people people were bored and had a lot of free time back then.
2: That's true. Right? So you're you know every what? Mashing, yes. two plants, you're mashing
1: every combination of plants together that you can. You know
2: what? There was realize, probably hey, one, like one me weird dude. <laughs> there was just one really weird yeah. dude who was like, I'm bored. I don't really like living that much. Let's see what we got.
0: Dude, and there is so much motivation to find the next good thing that gets you high.
2: Uh, you know what? That's fair.
0: <laughs> I believe... I believe Scott said, like, that the the two major advancements in the fields of uh, medical psychiatry in the past several decades have come from hippies trying to find new ways to get high.
2: I mean, I would, yeah. I'm trying to think back over my psychology history, and that seems pretty accurate from what I've seen. Ketamine and mushrooms? (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited. MAPS is doing good work. They finally got approval. Who, uh... Oh, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Research, or excellent. yeah, they... excellent.
0: Those are those are the legit ones, right? That uh, they're gonna hopefully be able to f- finally yeah, start prescribing have this shit. they just
2: finished uh, round two clinical trials with mushrooms for uh, PTSD. Excellent. Yeah, I think that that's another value of the weird and. So you've read the Slate Star Codex where he talks about the dangers of early psychedelic users taking too much and being permanently too open. I think Uh everyone who starts to dive into the weird should be forced to read that article first. (laughs) Just to be aware of that's where you're going. And it's fun to go there but it's not good to stay there. It's not a safe or functional place to stay. But there is a lot of value in being willing to explore and entertain a false mind frame and realizing that even while it is not true, there are things that this way of looking at the world reveals that are still valuable, man, that went way less controversially than I thought it would. So that's good.
0: Well, I, 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 yeah, I just, I basically agree with you. It takes, it takes being weird and being willing to entertain crazy shit to, to make I mean, breakthroughs I can tell you sometimes.
2: about my magical incidences. I did a ritual in the pyramids of Egypt.
1: I want to hear about that in one second, but I want to draw an, <laughs> uh, an allusion to something that... No, no, I do, but uh, this was related to a post that was just on the uh, Denver Lesserong Facebook page um, about uh, Ozzy and Scott Alexander disagree about whether or not you should diversify your uh, treadable portfolio, basically. On the one hand, there is one best cause to give your money to so like you should be doing that seems pretty ironclad and then Ozzy points out that you know you can't really be sure if it's the best one and you know even if it is what if they're not handling their money well maybe it's an odds game and they and it happens not to work out so you should probably diversify plus if you diversify you can feel better about giving so you know that's a that's a good um uh instrumental reason to to do it that way and I kind of come down right in the middle because I that's how I tend to do things when I don't have a strong opinion that I think Scott's probably right <laughs> that there is one optimal goal and that's where all your money should go. But if you're not going to give all your money to one charity because it doesn't feel as rewarding or it feels too risky and the only way you'll give anything is to diversify, then I'm all for that, right? Whatever gets you to do the thing. And so similar to this, or the reason I thought about it was, um, uh, man, hold on, my brain's crashing. Um, yeah, doing if. if yeah, doing weird stuff. If that's what gets gets you going, if you're not going to do anything cool without being also weird, go forth and be weird, right?
0: I I want your advice then on if someone is willing to do like some weird things and try to crazy up their life a little bit in controlled doses. Uh, what would you recommend they do if they are you know pretty new to this whole thing and a fairly rational person and you know want to dip in but don't want to go straight to the sacrificing their firstborn on the altar of Moloch i have or something. a submission
1: for the first thing i want to see if david agrees <laughs> psychedelics
2: yes i was actually gonna say that as well <laughs> um
0: well let, let's let's assume that this is someone who doesn't want to do psychedelics for whatever reason he wants a more mystical non-chemically induced okay. experience
1: uh, now we can talk about your your thing in the temple of egypt or in the egyptian pyramid
2: yeah, this is essentially the same idea. Uh, you need to have an experience that is so strong that if you were not a rationalist, you could fall into the pit. That's really the true answer. You need to have an experience that strong because then you can empathize. You really get why people fall into it then. For me, um, hmm. I was visiting i'm egyptian and a few years ago i was lucky enough to get to go back to egypt for the first time and visit a bunch of my family there and one of my buddies had lent me a copy of the egyptian book of the dead and it was in english well i had a friend named hong who i play pathfinder with occasionally who is an egyptologist <laughs> so I, while I was in Egypt, I exchanged photos from the Cairo Museum with him translating one of the spells in there for me. So I did one of the tours and I got to be in the center of the pyramid by myself. So I incanted an ancient Egyptian spell from the Book of the Dead to imbibe a god into my body. I chose Thoth, the god who invented writing and magic. Because a god who invents books is probably the most rational of all gods. <laughs> and, uh... It, like, nothing really weird happened that night. But then, every day, since then... I think I've gotten a book. It's been two years. I have too many books. <laughs> I have way too many books. <laughs> it is a, actually a legit problem.
1: <laughs> You've gotten a book every day for the last two years?
2: Yeah, like legit. How how many
1: days does it take you to read a book?
2: Like, more than one. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely an issue.
0: Totally Southern Gothic right there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like, but, like, at first it was kind of a joke, but then there would be days, like, I would go to the beach with my family. And I'd be like, okay, nothing's gonna happen today. And then I'd literally find a book sticking out of the sand
0: you realize you can throw away books right
2: i don't understand the words coming out of your mouth (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know you spoke chinese
0: i you know i have many hidden talents
2: but uh that was a small one i actually do have a crazier story which is i almost sacrificed a goat once to thor Ooh! yeah
0: I would feel really silly sacrificing something to Thor or or really any of the Nordic gods now just because you've seen them in Marvel movies in Marvel movies and in other movies before (laughs) that. Even, you know, I just like at this point, they almost feel like a joke.
2: I feel the opposite. They're definitely the gods to be worshiping. Everyone's paying attention to them. You don't want to worship like shitty, non popular gods,
1: like (laughs) second tier ones. Yeah, like the do you think think that the I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, just like the Neil Gaiman American Gods theory that gods are strong in proportion to how many people are, you know, paying attention to them.
1: Sort of, yeah. But then, do you think that that as that the Thor of Asgard is more empowered or pissed because everyone's worshiping the false idol, Chris Hemsworth?
0: <laughs> as long as they're using the name Thor.
1: <laughs> oh, so if, so that counts, okay? Yeah, I, I, I wonder. I wonder if the God of Abraham agrees with that. As long as you're saying God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why I mean, we that's have this the way tradition of, of always healing out god during sex right he's getting fueled by all the sex magic
2: oh my uh, god don't that's even get me started don't even get me started on how much magic the catholic church does but uh
0: <laughs> if, if helsing the anime has anything to say about this they do all the magic
2: yes <laughs> um so what happened was many years ago I took psychedelics and a bunch of my friends. We were at a hurricane party because it was a hurricane hitting the East Coast.
0: Uh, that sounds like a responsible thing to do.
2: We were, I was like 21 at the time. I wasn't making <laughs> good decisions. Right. Um, we all decided to run naked through the hurricane. And I remember doing so. <laughs> okay. And like legitimately stopping in the middle of the road as everyone ran in front of me. And I was just like this is not actually that bad of a storm like it was a thunderstorm but i was like this was way overhyped like they were like shutting down the city of philadelphia and stuff and i looked up at the sky and i don't know why but i looked at the sky and i literally screamed thor is a pussy and (laughs) and then like every mortal in a mythological event where you insult a god i needed to be humbled So every time I tried to take psychedelics for two or three years after that, and I have multiple friends who can cite this literally every single time, terrible freak weather, like six, six inches of snow coming out of nowhere, like torrential downpours in the middle of sunny days. And I was like, Oh man, I think I pissed off Thor. So
0: (laughs) I will say, well, I, I can't necessarily advocate doing things that are dangerous Doing something like running naked through a hurricane at the age of 21, it just seems like a thing that you would remember for the rest of your life. And it's just such a good bonding experience. It,
2: and, and honestly, I'm not saying like, do it, but I'm kind will, of
0: saying do it.
2: Nobody would have done it if we thought we were truly at risk. Like if the storm was bringing down trees and stuff, we definitely wouldn't have. And we would yeah. have stayed indoors. But like the very fact that it was... A mild risk but the biggest risk honestly was being seen nude less the storm itself
0: right you could get some some felony charges for that could you get felony or is that just misdemeanor
2: and uh, we could because we lived next to a police station at the time <laughs> oh good we we when i said no good decisions <laughs> i really meant it yeah. but um uh i worked at men's warehouse and I remember we were partying on the 4th of July and the weather was nice. And my friends were like making fun of me and they're like, you've got to do something. So Thor isn't pissed at you. And I was like, I think I should sacrifice a goat to Thor. Hmm. And this is very, did you try saying you're sorry first? It didn't work. Like gods don't care about your words. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I wasn't sure if you just went straight to sacrifice a goat or not.
0: (laughs) No.
2: Do you think like, I definitely did not want to do that first, but, uh, So, side caveat, my family, as Middle Easterners, has no problem with the slaughter of animals as long as it is for food. And I have heard many people talk about barbecues as essentially like a burnt offering and a community ritual. Like, they're the same thing. So, we also have an open-air market. So, I was like, I'm going to be serious about this. I I talked to my parents because I lived with them at the time, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And they're like, yeah, just give us some goat meat. We don't care. And uh, I got all of this stuff ready. I had a goat named
1: Delilah. I was You very... don't
0: name your sacrificial goats?
1: I didn't name her. I got
0: her with a name. <laughs> God damn it.
1: And then Plus, Thor wouldn't accept the sacrifice unless it hurt. So Yeah. Uh... And
2: then the day of it like per- like torrential downpour and I'm like, well, I can't really have a bonfire and do this. So I guess Thor saying that I don't need to do this.
1: Aww. I just like return the goat.
2: <laughs> and like Thor's a good everyone... dude. So the next day at work, uh, I had to call off for this. And my bosses were like, how the sacrifice go? Because, (laughs) (laughs) Because I am far too honest for my own good. And I was like, I told them what happened. And they were like, David, you're just kind of like wimping out. And I was like, kind of, yeah. And part of my job at Men's Warehouse is, you know, you get tuxedos back from a wedding. And you have to like open them and make sure everything's inside. Well, the very first tuxedo, I open up the bag and I hear some jingling at the bottom. I'm like, did someone forget their keys? And I go in the bottom and I pull out a set of cufflinks, and they say Thor on them. <laughs> <laughs> and I show them like to my boss. That, like, if I didn't <laughs> and he already trust worth
1: like a, like a, if I didn't already trust you as a sensible person, this sounds. So made up, which is actually yeah. really cool. You, I had this I will conversation send you with, two uh, people
2: with, who were there. One of them was my boss and he didn't believe it. Like he was next to me when it happened and he's like, This is not real
1: <laughs> and one no, of them no, was don't my go best you're wrong. Friend, I think I think Tyler. this is outstanding. This is I think I had this realization a few years ago when I was talking to my uncle and he had telling me some crazy stories and I had said, If I didn't know you for a trustworthy person, I'd say that's bullshit. And I think when I thought about it, I think that's like a really flattering thing to say, and I'm also going to say that about me. I want my life to be so ridiculous that somebody's like, I think that's bullshit. I'm like, I totally get that you don't believe me, but it really happened. Mm.
2: Yeah. And so, and like, they were the, they were the cufflinks from Marvel, right? Like there are Avengers <laughs> themed cufflinks for a groomsman's party. And I guess this groomsman just left his in the bag. But if you're going to believe in probability manipulation <laughs> and signals from gods, that's about as clear as they get. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's when you knew you and Thor were homies again.
2: Yeah, at least we were neutral, which is the way I like it.
0: I got to say, while those are awesome stories, I think there's also something to be said for things that you can do easily at home. I, I am reminded of a conversation I had through email with someone after uh, the episode on Ritual with Vivian, where they said, yeah, I I mean, I don't believe in magic at all, but I do it all the time. Like, sometimes if I really want to do something, I'll just say, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this thing six times. And as I'm doing it, I'll get out my Sharpie and just draw a little pentagram on the back of my hand six times over. And, and it really works for me. And I was like, you know, that's cool because that is – that is something easy that you can do at home that, you know, you don't have to go out and find a goat and get a bonfire going and everything. Okay. And there's, there's something to be said for, like, the little then, Dresden Files practical magics.
2: Then my rule of practical magics is uh, I'll send you guys two more links from RuneSoup, but make sigils. You can do it at home with pencil and paper. And more importantly, and I said it before, They work even if you don't believe them, which is, I think, the most interesting part. Like, if it's really fooling your perceptions, it's doing it at a very deep level. Because I've seen people who are skeptical do them and then get the result, which is really amazing when you think about it. Like, it's like the placebo effect worked while you looked at someone and showed them the box that said sugar pill.
0: Well, that's the crazy thing about placebos. They do work even when you know they're placebos.
2: Yeah. Well, in that case, more placebo mancy for everyone.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I tell you what, you've convinced me. I will. I'll check out your uh, your sigil writing thing, and I will. I will do one for science, and I'll report back next time we chat. Cause Sweet. If if I can if I can make things if I can fix a couple little things, you know, that are probably fixable from the inside of my mind, for ten minutes of effort, hey, I'm all about that easy path.
2: I mean, the best technique, and I do think this, is what they call uh, shoaling and robo-fishing. So a shoal is like a group of fish. So you make a group of sigils all at once. And robo-fish is, they found out that you can't control an individual fish in a shoal. But if you put a robot fish in a shoal and you control that one, (laughs) you can get the whole shoal to move, right? So you make five sigils of things that you want to happen and then you make a sixth sigil of something that's already true in your life to attract it into reality and (laughs) all that's a really easy one that anyone can do just set it up for like one week and i'm you know they're always fun to hear one of my favorites was a guy did a like one where he did a sigil that wanted to lose weight and fix his relationship and then another one to uh, like get a better job and it turns out he got a better job that was closer to his house so he could walk home every day and have lunch with his partner and walk back and because he wasn't eating out anymore he lost weight, his relationship improved and he got more money
1: <laughs> Thanks. yeah, it's yeah. hard to argue with results, right?
0: it's, uh, it's also handy that if you do five sigils at once you know you only need one of them to hit for it to work
2: exactly (laughs) if you're going to try to fool yourself use your brain and be clever about it you're a very smart person it takes a lot of work to fool yourself
0: oh i believe the exact opposite is true and i think Feynman is the one who said you you the 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 greatest fear is not to be fooled and you are the easiest person uh, to fool yourself or something along those lines I will have to look up the exact quote, but yeah, I, I think fooling yourself is the easiest thing to do, and much easier than it is to fool other people. But, you know, sometimes you can use that power for good.
1: I think the quote was, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. Steven with the research. Fast on the keyboard. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, this this is like, I think there's two levels that this conversation could be taking place on, where like... Everybody's having this conversation super seriously, and they believe it with magic capital M. And then there's like this laid back. It's like you know, no man. It's kind of like meditation and like focusing, you know, your your own energy, lowercase energy, not the magic energy. Just your own efforts to, towards life betterment and looking out for positive things. Um, and you know, you know what it is. No, this
0: this this is straight up perfect example of mountain bailing yes <laughs> it, it's um, the whole romance no, man actually... it's just looking for positive vibes and stuff and then you know sneaking in the back door yes but you can actually control the fabric of the universe
1: so only if only if one of us actually stepped back and said that right
0: well it's it's a societal mott and bailey there's a few people that are like yeah it's just for fun and then there's the people that are like no you can you know remove your thetans and see through walls all you got to do is give hubbard so your money
2: <laughs> i that's why i think that uh a sense of history helps like all four of the things that i mentioned that magic claims it can do are not really the type of superpower things that people think of today like I don't astral know, projection man. is just kind of like lying like even exciting people who think they can actually astral project are essentially just meditating and imagining stuff or lying down yeah like i i'm okay this might be me over tolerating seriousness or silliness but i'm pretty okay with people who do silly things that uh don't infringe on others and don't hurt them like everyone's entitled to waste some of their own time god knows i do
1: mm-hmm. totally and if you're wasting it in a way that turns out to be productive for you you know um focused meditation or something you know it it's hard to say that it's a waste, right? If you're relaxed afterwards and you feel better and things are, you know, you're you're making a concerted effort or something, um, you know, like what if your your outcome from doing this was like, you know, what I do have the energy to go to the gym today because I felt I feel like I do because I feel like my ritual worked or something, right?
0: I think the thing that the thing that really kind of worries me is that this sort of thing is okay. If, oh God, I'm going to sound like such an elitist prick saying this, but. Uh, with that caveat, this sort of thing is, like, okay for us, where we're like, yeah, man, you know, we're just helping to to motivate ourselves and whatever. It's not real. And I, I do believe that, but there's also this person that I I don't see very often. At this point in the episode, I detailed some really wacky beliefs of someone I know. He doesn't listen to the podcast, but it still seemed kind of mean in retrospect. So in the interest of not outing anyone, we're removing the details. Just let it be known that the beliefs are really very weird and not supported by any physical evidence. And that's like, even if the, there's those of us who that's can accept... That's a lot, yeah, even
2: for me. <laughs> oh, dude, oh, dude, it
0: is straight-up wackiness. And that the problem is that even though there's people who can, like, take this magic into their lives and use it to, like, help themselves in small ways to be more motivated, the the... I feel there's a like the it's sort of like a not taking a vaccine sort of thing. Sure, we're okay, but the rest of society suffers because now the people who are more vulnerable, who have a compromised memetic immune system are buying into the wholesale magic is real and I can fly and stuff. And that's the kind of things that like, you know, am I hurting the rest of society because most people are not as rational and will be sucked into the the actual seeing the future magic.
2: That is, this is <laughs> Colorado is a weird place, man. <laughs> That's what I'm determining from here on the East Coast.
0: <laughs> well, you, I'm, there's people like that on the East Coast too. They're everywhere. Oh yeah, they
2: definitely are. Yeah, you just gotta I know, know several to of people. them. Um, I can see where you're coming from, and I don't want to be party to hurting people but at some point I just have to believe that if it wasn't magic I don't know maybe they'd all be Mormon mm. <laughs> like I I yeah. believe that the flaw that makes them susceptible to that mimology would have they would be infected by something one way or another
1: crazy going to be cray
2: <laughs> yeah and it's not like to be fair to the wider population, it's a lot. Like, I don't know. I've been reading the sequences on and off and trying to integrate rationality into my life for like six years. And I would say I'm, if the martial arts metaphor is working, I'm just about to leave White Belt. <laughs> nice. It's really, really
0: hard. Yeah. Oh, no. I. I- yeah, it is very difficult. I find myself failing constantly.
2: I mean, I'm now at the point where I know when I'm failing constantly.
1: Which I think is is maybe maybe I don't know how the belts work in, in martial arts, but I feel like learning the moves and knowing you know your stances and stuff is what it takes to get out a white belt, right? I know I'm torturing this metaphor, but like I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit. You know, I don't think that we can all run around like. Harry, James Potter, Evans, Varys, or Professor Quirrell and be, you know, these these beacons of rationality that are constantly running, you know, just crushing it on a rationality judo level, right? But I think it's like, all right, when crunch time happens, I know that I can set aside some time and actually think about this in a way that I now have tools to approach this problem in a more uh, rigorous and reliable way, right?
0: It's, it's true. And it does help to form some habits as well.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, I think a lot of them, you know, you don't give yourself credit for, but you, you consider alternate viewpoints. You think of something that, you know, you come down on a position really hard and yet you still think, okay, have I thought about this from all angles? And, you know, what could change my mind? Those are moves that most people don't know. And, you know, I think I mentioned this before, but one of those examples was when we had Naveen on, we were talking about uh, marriage and he had asked you, Hey, is there anything that, you know, was there any circumstance where you'd still get married? And you're like, yeah, if I had a close friend who needed my medical insurance, you had an answer ready. You'd already thought of it. Like you that, that showed that you had thought through this from several angles and that you didn't you didn't like bottom line think, I hate this, I'm gonna write 30 arguments above it, right?
2: Right. Uh, so yeah.
1: I I don't know. I'm, I I don't know if I I don't I don't know who among us has the has the power to grant you a blue belt, but <laughs> <laughs>
2: This is one of those, this is actually where I think what I would like to explore in the future. I think magic has a lot of techniques for hacking your brain into getting you to do behaviors and changing the way you look at the world. And I think that when I was last on with uh, you, Stephen, I was talking about how I wish there was a set of techniques that people could learn first, like that think through every idea every position one and then learn the theory behind it in the sequences later so i wish there was a way to extract those useful ways of hacking the brain to getting more rationalist thinking but i'm not sure how to do it yet
0: i have heard that about magic before too that it it is good for hacking those sorts of things if you find out that sort of thing or like just even as you start making progress along these lines you should let us know we can keep in contact and you know touch back on this
2: yeah it's like one of the ones i try to do regularly as a magic action is i try to collect the oldest like material i can for my altar and i just keep like a little pile of rocks like i have a rock from the pyramids of egypt i have a meteorite
0: wait a minute did you steal a rock from the pyramids?
2: I just picked it up and put it in
0: my pocket. Oh, <laughs> it was on the ground, and then yeah, it was in my pocket. Yeah, but you're not supposed to take those because then if everyone does that, there aren't any rocks left, right?
2: No, that thing is huge. <laughs> everyone could easily take a rock the size I took, and there'd be a lot of pyramid left.
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> There's a
2: lot. It was very intimidating.
0: <laughs> well, alrighty then.
2: I have a meteorite, and. It sounds like a silly rock collection. It is, but it's a way of representing to myself like history is huge. You are in a very small slice of it. And that is a humbleness reminder. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, what am I worried about right now that is probably not a big deal? And what should I be worried about in the long term? It's a refocusing of what's important. And it's a way I just like built that, mimetic habit into my magical worship
1: i like that a lot and i also like that you like rocks too i i don't have a big collection but i have a handful of ones that i really like i have a friend who brought me back a piece of igneous rock from hawaii and it's you know i don't know how old it is but it's you know it could be just a few decades or even a few years old Um, my brother brought me back i love this it's a Small piece of cobblestone from a road in Prague that he went to in high school. <laughs> and then, now
0: that uh, absolutely had to be not legit, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was a. I don't know if it was a. If it was a crux of the road that now everything's hitting this pothole, or if it was found nearby. But it, part of it was worn smooth, and then he brought me back a, a rock from the beach of uh, Ireland. And you know, old coins are kind of similar to me too, right? Where there's this sense of history to it. I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So people. Okay, so I'm going to give you now what I believe is the definition of ritual. Oh, and yeah. ritual is that which is done with symbolic intention. Oh. Because you can brush your teeth, but if you make the very act of cleaning your body a ritualistic thing, as like you purify your mind to prepare the day, that's what changes brushing your teeth from a habit to a ritual. It's the way you approach it that changes the
1: context of it. See, you could have saved us 45 minutes on that one episode.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> People are ritualistic creatures. Like, the way we start denoting humans have become intelligent is we have, like, art and jewelry at our grave sites. We have rituals. We are Homo ritualis. And for whatever reason, they really stick in our brains. So. If you're going to, if you know that you can hack your brain using ritual, then you should build rituals and patterns in your life that will hack the correct things into you.
0: I like this. I I really actually want to start implementing this now.
2: Like, I, so one of the chaos magic procedures is you're supposed to find your patron god and goddess. And in a way, it's almost a forcing you to decide, like, what kind of, If I have a masculine and a feminine part to my personality, what describes those parts of me? And it's also kind of aspirational. Like, who do you want to be? I have friends who's like, my female part is Kalima, and she's like, death goddess and dark. And I'm like, okay, that's that's a decision you're saying to
1: yourself. Yeah, someone watched the Temple of Doom as a teenager.
2: Yeah, I chose Athena and the Monkey King because I wanted a trickster and a goddess of wisdom. And so that's what I want to think about every day when I go about my life, and I think that's what religion does for people in the same way. You intentionally focus your mind on being like a person like Christ, a person who's willing to sacrifice and hold others above themselves, and that helps you become like that in a in a small small way.
1: But per the warning earlier, like some people take that up to up to eleven and you know, like, believe that they that they can't draw that wisdom without also believing a bunch of really weird and wrong shit right
2: i don't know just, a just way to solve yeah you're absolutely right and i wish there was a way to better filter but i think i think of it more like an engine can work even with a little bit of gunk in it but if there's too much gunk the engine is definitely not going to function like and no, I, like I don't that. know how to figure out where that is cuz i think the common parlance would be to say like there he would be below the sanity waterline and honestly let's be if we're being very frank here if someone said the things that you told me he said eneas like let's go 60 years ago uh <laughs> he would have been below the sanity waterline as far as most of society was concerned yeah and I'm not saying that this person is insane. I'm saying that this person probably functions very well, but uh, is not... Society no longer says that that is below the line. And I have mixed opinions about this.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: And I'm not... like I feel bad, because I don't really have room to judge, and I'm aware of this. But I can't help myself from noticing that and just thinking, like, this is... Like, we just got gay marriage a few years ago. Society is moving really fast. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I really like your uh, podcast with that guy from, was it West Virginia?
0: Oh, yes, yes. Um, Joshua.
2: Joshua, as a person who also lives in the East Coast and who has gone to West Virginia many times for kayaking, I understand the viewpoint of the part of the country who feels reticent about all these social changes
0: yeah. I think I think overall it's a change for the better. I mean he's not harming anyone and the only person he might be harming is himself and even then I'm not sure how much that's harming him. I guess what he's his his efforts are no longer being funneled uh, into something more socially useful by a church. But on the other hand, lots of times churches would funnel people's efforts into very destructive and bad things. So on the whole, I prefer things this way where, sure, people have their own crazy bullshit, but at least the churches aren't around, you know, telling gay people that they're awful and they can't marry and all the bullshit things that churches have done since time immemorial.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that you're right. I think I may be much
0: more anti-organized religion than you are.
2: I think you're generally right. I mean, my I feel bad for organized religions like Catholicism and Buddhism because they are desperately trying to update themselves in a way that is useful. And I think that if society was moving a little bit slower or if they had started this like a decade ago, there might be a much better place for them in the world. But it just doesn't seem likely at this point. And it makes me a little sad. Hmm. Like Because you're right, I don't disagree with you. I do think that there's going to be backlash in terms of like how fast we're moving, but the general trend is definitely a positive one. But there are very few effective superorganisms in society. I, I listened to your last one, and I yeah. checked out that. <laughs> there are very few effective superorganisms, and the Catholic Church at its height was one of the most powerful in history.
0: Oh, hell yeah. They, They had their shit down.
2: It's really, really impressive when you can, like, think about a single person saying a word and then imagine, like, more wealth than currently resides in Africa changing hands and an entire city being built. Which is a thing that happened, like, two or three times during the reign of, like, the popes, which is crazy to me. Like, just pointing and saying, I want a city here. And then people moved there and lived there and started doing it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, there's... I don't know. You, you kind of think if we had some more of... Uh, it's hard because you think, oh, how much good could these superorganisms do if they were pointed the right way? You know, we could be solving so many problems, but... Then the, the trap is, you know, sure, everything would be great in a dictatorship if I was the dictator, right? But I'm never the dictator. It's always the guy with the crappy ideas, as the old cliche goes.
2: First of all, I've thought about dictatorship and realized at a young enough age that I'd be a really good face man, but I should never <laughs> be a dictator. <laughs> well. I think the only way you can incentivize superorganisms to be effective is if they are competing against other superorganisms in a larger ecosystem. Mm. I generally go with the ecosystem answer whenever I'm confused by a behavior, which I guess is like something that rationality definitely taught me to do.
0: Do you think the rationalists are something I think about every now and then seeding too much ground by being so disorganized and not,
2: absolutely yes yeah. yes 100 percent. i w- wish that there was a way that we could organize and point ourselves at a goal because i generally find that whenever i meet a group of rationalists i'm very good with my words and i'm kind of clever but i'm generally the least intelligent person there and if i'm being very honest i don't think i'm dumb and yeah. if we could get that money people with that kind of intelligence pointed at a goal i don't I don't know what the upper limits actually could be. Like, how many people do you think if you posted something on Less Wrong or if we decided to do something would get involved? I genuinely have no idea.
0: Probably not all that many. I mean, I think the 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 largest thing that has ever been done in a single organization is when uh, Eliezer founded Miri, and that's you know that's something. It's it's a organization that gets a a decently large budget can support several researchers now but it's not it's not all that big in the grand sphere i mean more than anything it's the the fact that they have incentivized other organizations to also get on board and start paying attention to this that it has had the greater effect than anything they've done directly and i think that is the one largest rationalist um center of of focus right now you know i don't we're not a very focused people and i think that's okay because we are distrusting of authority as we should be as we kind of had to be in order to get to rationalism in the first place but it makes it tough to form the sort of super organism that gets a lot done and competes in the in the ecological sphere of other leviathans
2: i mean i think that the existential threat of what The AI problem that Yudkowsky points out in the sequences is one of those things that when you get what he's implying, your stomach drops. And even if you are somehow persuaded to believe it's not going to be as bad as he describes, the idea is always there. Like the existential dread is now permanently implanted into you. And that kind of thing, I think, can motivate people very well. The only other thing I can think of that would motivate the community would have to be something that has that kind of emotional impact.
0: I don't think that fear and things like that are actually very good motivators. I think it's much more important to have a community going. I, I, I think that's the, the, the big thing that um, helped the catholic church right for the vast majority of people it's just the lady it's people working their nine-to-five jobs or in the pre-modern era their sunrise to sunset farms and for the most part living life finding a place to slot into in society and being more or less content and putting just a little bit of their effort towards the church and they managed to give people enough meaning in life and fulfill enough of a niche socially that they could aggregate some of that extra effort until eventually they became what they are. And so I don't think that, you know, telling the lady as, as Jesus did in the gospel, sell everything you own and follow me because the end is nigh. I don't think that works for most people. There's, there'll be some fanatics that are convinced by that. But for the most part, I think people want to have a society that they can live their lives in and, And so I don't think an existential threat like that is a good thing to do. I think we need community first.
2: I think you need both. But like the way I view it is you kind of need something to kick people's ass to get them in gear. But if you don't have a community that's real and genuine once that fades away, because that will eventually fade. Like it's going to take years of hard work. You're not going to feel existential dread every minute of every day working there, or talking to people, or hanging out and drinking a coffee. Like, if there's not a community there, then you become a death cult. Yeah. (laughs) So I do think you're right. You need both. I think you need something that is external, that is a motivation for everyone, but you also need a community worth fighting for.
0: Yeah. And as just about every author will tell you nowadays, because everyone writes fan fiction, it's where you learn, fan fiction is so much easier to write, not because of the world or the characters or anything that's already there, but because you post it up online and you get instant feedback and people saying, I enjoyed reading this, thank you. And that is what gets you going from day to day, you know, whereas writing a novel where you're just at it for months alone and no one's going to see it. And then there's months of editing and then there's years before it hits the presses and... It is. It does not sustain you at all motivationally. Whereas, you know, writing a chapter for your fanfic and putting it up online, you get that dopamine hit of people saying thanks immediately. It's so rewarding.
2: Oh man, that sounds interesting. You know, Nasim Taleb actually did that for his last book. He would post up like chapters with no chapter number or page numbers, but randomly he would post them on Facebook for months before his book was published. Oh, nice. Yeah. I really liked it. Skin in the game was good. I think it's the first for it's the first mathematical formalization of ethics I've ever seen.
0: Ooh, fancy.
2: Yeah. Like, essentially, the more risk that you shove away from yourself onto other people, the worse human you are.
0: Oh, I like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And the more risk you take onto yourself and save from other people, the better you are.
0: Ooh, but then you can collapse under the weight of that.
2: That's why everyone loves a martyr. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've just yeah. described
2: what a martyr complex does.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we are over an hour and a half, so we kind of got to wrap things up at this point.
2: Sounds good. It's late where I
1: am.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. You're over on the East Coast.
1: Thanks for rocking till midnight with us. I realized that I haven't said anything in like half an hour, and I think I have a total of like 10 minutes of dialogue this whole episode. I'm I find sorry. this happening often. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I find this happening a lot when we have interesting guests on. And especially if, you know, I was just here to like, you know, keep the conversation going. But I just like yeah. hang back and listen. But oh, I had I a app- really good time even though I wasn't very active here. <laughs> I um,
0: apologize too. So, I tend to get like carried away and all excited about shit. And, no, no, no. Oh, I, I
1: think so... I think I have enough uh, like autonomy in the conversation to grab it if I if I really wanted to seize it, at least for, you know, a minute here and there. But really for the most part, I was... I was having a good time hanging out. Um, I wanted to ask really quick, though, David. So you've you've mentioned uh, 12 12 rules for living or 12 rules for life and Nassim Taleb, to me, a bunch. And so I don't have a huge uh, reading budget because it takes me so long. So uh, who, who should I read first, Taleb or Peterson?
2: I like Peterson. I like Peterson, but the truth is he's probably not going to reveal anything to you that is new. Uh, if you have the opportunity to borrow 12 rules, do that, but don't buy it. Buy Talib. Talib will like fill in gaps in your map. Or, a better way to say it is, in the map and territory analogy, Talib is the best person I've ever seen describing the blank spaces on your map. Oh i've cool. never seen that any, awesome. like that's what his books are a meditation on the blank spaces in the map and the ethics and how to deal with it
0: excellent yeah i'm captivated sweet yeah that sounds like a strong recommend there
2: and he's just pretty hilarious he taught me my first french phrase that i remember pete bef. which is a face that invites a slap everyone knows (laughs) you know someone as soon as i said that word everyone who's listening to this thought of a face because everyone knows immediately
1: everyone thought of a jeep pie yeah because he he, he just has that face right i'm not a violent person like like it's you just you just want to slap him
2: i know one guy who went to my friend's college at bucknell and as far as i know he was a very friendly person i have no beef with him but every time i saw him i'm like oh my god like you make me want to become like a college bully. Why? Why is this happening?
0: <laughs> I don't know if this says something about me, but I did not have a face that came to mind. I don't... Oh,
2: you're a better person than me. I think that says that.
0: <laughs> or maybe more boring. I don't know. I just.
2: You need more enemies.
0: No, no, <laughs> I do not.
2: I. Okay, I promise I won't give you any more my, any of mine.
1: <laughs> I, th- I think don't we can show no up if... to being a better person, than Yash.
0: Yeah, well, don't throw no enemy sigils at me.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair point. Okay, cool. thank awesome. you guys for
2: having me on again. I appreciated it, and I'll let you guys go. Peace. Oh,
0: before you go, is there anything you want to um, promote or plug?
2: Uh, well, I heard what your brother was saying earlier, Stephen, and... If anyone out there would like to help me coordinate, I would like to get a less wrong meetup going in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I've tried to look at them. I believe there's one in Philly that meets like once a quarter, but I can't meet there. So, if anyone is in Southeast Pennsylvania, hit up, hit me up. And uh, if you want to buy a house, I'll put my information.
0: I'm going to hit you up. Give us a quick email address.
2: Okay. Uh, you can reach me at d-y david yusuf at gmail.com
0: okay and we'll put a link up on our podcast on uh, the webpage as well
1: sweet and i'll just say this really quick in response to your thing about community starting that i i'm i'm hardly uh, a person with any real experience or knowledge here but really then this is the the rule for life that i've been articulating for myself too and it's super cli- it's kind of like peterson super cliched but also super true that like, the one thing that stops people from doing anything is just not actually trying, not actually doing it. They just, they, they think, oh, it won't work, or oh, it'll be too hard. Um, you know, dude, throw something up on Meetup, go hang out at a coffee shop by yourself for two first weekends, and then people will start showing up, right? Or maybe if nothing happens after a month, then start marketing more heavily. But I bet there are people who, you know, look on Star Codex or wherever they have those maps, and like, man, I wish something was in the area. And if you put something on the map, people will come, right?
2: You're right i will do that tomorrow that is a very (laughs) sensible thing i can do
1: and i I said that on the air just so if anyone else is thinking the same thing go out there and do it there's not there's not much to it i you know ask anybody in denver i don't do anything to coordinate this community other than throw the events online so um anyway that was my two cents and now i've gotten my mandatory five minutes of talking in this episode so
0: (laughs) well thank you thank you guys both
1: yeah thank you thanks again for coming on david